Everyone out there in on-site Rockland and uh, the video venues and tuning in at your homes, good morning, welcome. And uh, if you want to get your Bibles out, your outlines out, just to get warmed up, we're going to be in uh, part 38 of our series, Being Jesus. And this morning we're talking about being sent out with authority and power. This is exciting. This is what Jesus does for his disciples in the text that we're in this morning. And so Jesus has a special purpose and a plan for our lives. And he has an equipping and he has a mission for all of us. And we're going to find out more about that this morning. So as you turn there, you can flip if you're in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9 if you want to be uh, kind of hanging out there. But we're going to talk just a moment about authority and power. Because I've been thinking a lot about authority and power in my life. And I'm not sure if I've, if I've seen it uh, in the context that Jesus talks about. Because when I, when I think about power, for instance, um, a couple weeks ago, I had the opportunity to be standing uh, on the Pacific Ocean. I was at uh, Monterey. Anyone go to the ocean this summer? Do you, anyone check that out? You know, and the ocean is a powerful thing. Amen? I mean, especially if you're out there. I mean, I was up to like my calves in it because I didn't want to, I rolled up my jeans. I didn't want to get too wet. And my wife and I are out there going, you know, running from the waves, you know, having a really fun time. But, but it's, it's cool when you're in the shallow end, right? It's no big deal when it's the foam or whatever. But those waves, if you get out there into the breakers, it's power. You experience power. I mean, I had the opportunity, I'm not from California originally and from the Midwest. And about five years ago, I had a chance to go surfing with my wife's cousin. And I, that was the closest I've ever been to Jesus. I have never been closer. <laughs> I was wearing a wetsuit that was like two sizes too small, and I had a longboard that I felt like was three sizes too big. And I was out there at Huntington Beach, giant waves. And he's like, here's, here's the drill, okay? Just paddle out there, turn around. When you see a wave, paddle, stand up, go. I'm like, I think it's harder than that. And I was out there bobbing and freezing and praying that I would not die. I'm a horrible swimmer. I don't know what I was thinking. But man, when you, when you encounter a wave, a powerful wave, and I didn't catch one the whole day, so don't think of me as awesome. Failure, okay? That's what I'm talking about here, okay? Not a surfer. But when you encounter a powerful wave and you feel yourself being thrashed around like a rag out there, you know, just, just helpless, it's a reminder there are powerful things in this world, things that are, that there are things we should not be tangling with. And, and the most powerful natural force that we encounter in this world, in nature, the most powerful thing you could ever find in, in this world around us that we can see and experience with our eyes is nothing compared to the power that Jesus has to equip us for his kingdom, the power that he gives us as his disciples. And I was thinking also about, about authority. And authority is something maybe you have had an encounter with at some time in your life, okay? And how many people have, have had maybe an encounter with, with authority? Anyone? How about this? It gets better. <laughs> how about this? Okay, you've been driving along, minding your own business, hypothetically, and, uh, and, and you're, you're, all of a sudden a, a light catches your eye in the rearview mirror. You're like, well, that's strange. Why would that light be shining right there? It's like, is that a blinged out ice cream truck following me, you know? And you're waiting for the telltale, do, 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 do. You know the classic Ice Cream Man song? Nope. You get red lights, blue lights with a whoop, okay? And you're like, oh no, that's a cop car. <laughs> and just for a second, there's that hope. Maybe they're not, maybe they're not for here, here for me. Maybe they're going to go around. Maybe they got caught you know, in a call. They're just going to smoke on by me. But no, when you see one of these guys in your rearview mirror and they come up behind you and flash their lights, then you realize I'm about to have an encounter with authority. And you have a couple different responses to that. I remember when I was 19 years old, I got pulled over for the first time. I was driving on the freeway. And the bonus is, if you get pulled over at night, not only do you get the light show, but also once you stop your car, the glory of the Lord shines about you in your car. Because <laughs> there's a spotlight, and boom, and it's like, oh, 
just like, take me home, Lord, I'm ready. Okay, but, it, but you know, this blinding light, because they want to make sure you're not pulling any shenanigans. They don't know who you are. I mean, I understand, I respect police immensely, and I think it's a wise precaution. But here I am, first time pulled over, 19 years old, you know, in my car, and I'm sweating. I'm like, oh my gosh, he's going to take me into the station. My parents are going to kill me. This is horrible. And so he comes up, you know, and there's this shadow approaching through the night, you know. I roll down my window. Can I help you, officer? <laughs> You know, okay, license and registration. I think you could tell I was pretty nervous. You know, I wasn't going to try anything. So anyway, but my hands were literally shaking as I was handing him my license and my registration. Why? Because cause an encounter with authority, it's, it's powerful. And, and that, that police officer who's put here for my good, that's not a, just a person who wakes up one day and decides, hey, I think I'll join the force. And they go and they buy a uniform down at Costume City, and they show up and say, hey, I'd like to join in. Can I get the keys to a squad car? That's not how the authority comes to be for a police officer. A police officer is somebody who is, who is trained, and they, through hard work and education and different, different scenarios, they have to go through and testing and, and repeated training. They're eventually authorized and deputized from on high. I mean, the municipal authorities, you know, the state and the government says, we need some people to come and stand in the gap with our authority to protect and to serve to enforce the law and to help people who are, who are innocent, who are being oppressed, or for, for the bad guys who are getting away with crime. We need someone who can stand in on our behalf and bring justice to that situation. So for that reason, because a cop is entrusted with authority, then I feel that. I mean, when I see a cop and I'm driving down the road, I instinctively take my foot off the gas. Because if you hit the brakes real hard, they know that you're, that you're guilty. So don't do that. So you just got to get, not that we're speeding all the time, but, but, but I do that. And, and what do I do? You know, I make sure, I make sure my, is my seatbelt buckled. Okay, good. My seatbelt buckled. Is my, where's my phone? Not near me. Okay. Like I don't want to be, I don't want to be breaking the law, but it's a reminder to me that when I see those people with, with the badge and the gun and the Batman utility belt with all those things on there, that they, that they are here for a reason. And that reason is they've been given a job. They've been given a mission. And in fact, they've been entrusted with power and authority. And that power and authority affects the way that, that I live my life now. It affects the way that they live their lives. Because if you're going to be given that responsibility to wear the uniform and to wield that power, then it comes with a great expectation that your behavior and your conduct is going to be befitting of the authority and the entrustment you've been given. And when we look around at the different entrustments of authority and power in the world around us, some of you all are teachers. God bless the teachers in the house. Any teachers in the house? Let's give a round of applause for the teachers. Yeah. Why? Because about right now, you wish it was June again, probably. Because <laughs> it's hard to be a teacher, and the power and authority you're entrusted with, you know, it's, it's real but limited in some ways. And so, man, that, that's difficult, you know, to come and with a detention slip to try to bring order to a room full of middle schoolers. I feel for you. Or some of you, you know, business people in the house, you know, managers, you know, people with authority. If you're just an employee someplace and you have keys or some decision-making responsibility, you've been given some authority. And in all these arenas of life, we see authority at work. But when we come to the church and we look around at, at the people next to us, go ahead, look around. There are people here, I promise you. <laughs> if you're online, I swear they're here, okay? And we look around the people around us. One of the places we, we have a hard time seeing authority and power is here within the body of Christ. I mean, we can, we can allow that the pastor has some authority. We can understand the elders are put here to help guide and shepherd the church, you know, the decision-making, that they're the caretakers. But, but when you look around at, at, at just us, when, when we're just in the seats, you know, here, and I realize in whatever capacity you come from, you know, in your walk of life, you might have that authority. But when you walk into this place, if you're not a ministry leader and you're not a, a director of ministry of some sort, if you're just here, 
it's sometimes hard for us to recognize that as Christians, we have power. That there's more to us than meets the eye. When, when God looks at us, he doesn't just see a group of nice, mild-mannered people who decided to clean themselves up and, and drive to a church and sit down. God sees an army. God calls us a royal priesthood and a holy nation, a people belonging to him. And, and to be a child of God comes with certain privileges and certain responsibilities. So as we understand these, these, these authority giftings of, of the Lord, especially as we see Jesus living them out, it helps us to, to see ourselves as God sees us because Satan would want to rob us of the, of the authority and the power, the confidence of walking with Christ in authority. I mean, if you, if you feel a little bit downcast today, if you're experiencing fear and failure and, you, and you're just beat up in life, then, then I would wager that Satan is waging war for your mind and for your heart, that he would make you think that you're impotent and powerless. Because if I read Scripture correctly and I understand God's kingdom, that if, if we've been called children of the king, if we've been adopted as sons and daughters of God, given full rights of being children of God, that makes us children of the king. But there's an enemy out there that's making us want to believe that we're less than that, that we're actually just beggars and paupers in this world. And so I wonder, which one do you relate with more? Do you relate with, with being royalty, a child of, of the king, or do you re- relate with being a beggar looking for scraps? Because that's what a beggar does. A beggar has no promises. They just go from place to place, digging through the trash, trying to find what they can, whatever provision. A beggar is powerless against bullies and foes. They sleep at night in fear. And everything that goes bump in the night could be something coming to, to take away what they have, what, what few things they've been given. A beggar believes that God helps those who help themselves. So whenever they get a chance, they try in their own power to improve their circumstances. They're going to do whatever they can to claw their way up to a place of position or security. That's, that's what life as a beggar is. But by contrast, a life... In the kingdom, a life of royalty, being a child of the king, a child of the king trusts that the king knows and provides for their daily needs. That, that our, our father, if he's the king, he can give us everything we need for this day. He's more than capable. He's more than trustworthy. A child of the king sleeps soundly because they know that their father is watching over things, that there's not going to be an enemy in the night coming in to invade. Why? Because they, they're sovereignly able to protect those under their control. And a child of the king, maybe most importantly, a child of the king has access to incredible privileges and power. And if we're living our lives more as beggars than as, than as royalty, understanding that, that God has a better plan for us, then this morning's an opportunity for us to align our minds with the way God sees us and the way that he describes his kingdom and his work in our life. And if you have your, your outlines, the, the understanding we're starting with uh, today is that God has a kingdom. God's the king. He has a kingdom, and he's, he's inviting us to be a part of it. God shares his kingdom with his children is the fill-in-the-blank today. God doesn't just sit on a throne enjoying all the luxury of being the sovereign king of the universe. He invites his kids into the kingdom. Jesus shares his kingdom with his children. And now, because of that, we have the opportunity to experience life in God's kingdom. I had an opportunity to go to, uh, to Disneyland also this summer. So I, I like to hit the, you know, the California trifecta this summer. I did a lot of fun things. And my wife and I, we don't have any kids, so we went down to Disneyland by ourselves which you're like, what? Some of you are like, that sounds horrible. Others of you are like, yes, 
I, I like you. Now I like you, okay? And so we went down there, and we were there for like four days, and it was just the, the two of us, you know? And so we come in, and the first day we were just so excited to get in the Magic Kingdom, you know, when we threw down the money, you know? They suckered us in. The more days you stay, the cheaper it gets. So we're like, we'll just stay forever then. And so it's like pennies for day 97, so that's good. And so, and so we buy the ticket, and, and the first day we go in, and there's something about being in the Magic Kingdom. That's what good old Walt called it. He called it the Magic Kingdom. Why? Because when you enter into the kingdom, life feels different. I mean, you walk down a main street and you see that little castle down the distance, and man, it does feel like you know, a zippity doo dah day. I mean, it's crazy cool. And you're walking along, you know, and they, they have sights and sounds and smells, and it's all oriented towards happiness, the nicest people in the world trying to make sure you're having the time of your life. And, and in some ways, that's, that's our understanding of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is, is a place where we enter in to find joy and fulfillment. And, and while there's, there's no space mountain in the kingdom of God, the, the adventure that God takes us on when we enter into his kingdom, the heights and the depths of his love as we explore it together, it is a beautiful place to be. It's a wonderful thing to be in the kingdom of God, enjoying the privileges there. But, but sometimes we, we focus so much on coming in and maybe coming into a place like this and being encouraged and being fed and then going back out again that we forget that there's another facet to being in the kingdom. If God shares his kingdom with his kids, the privileges, he also shares the responsibility we find in scripture. That he invites us in not just to watch him do the kingdom show, but he invites us in to be a part of, of, of bringing his life and joy and grace to the world. He invites us to, to bring the kingdom to bear. And a helpful way to illustrate this truth so we can see ourselves as God sees us is, is through a triangle. And so uh, this, this, uh, this illustration of God's kingdom, this is nothing special, it's nothing sacred, but this is just an easy way to think about it. Because in the kingdom of God, at the foundation, if you're going to have a kingdom, you have to have a king. And so at the very top, we have a king. And that king has, has all authority. God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He is sovereign over everything. All infinite resources are at his disposal. Wisdom and power, I mean, he stands above time. God is perfectly in control. He's our sovereign and our Lord. There is no power above him. And because he's perfect in love and in grace, and because he created a, a world where he wants to have a relationship with us, in spite of the fact that we broke creation with our sin in the fall, in spite of that fact, God had planned in advance to bring his kingdom back to bear again, to make things right. And so God initiated through Jesus Christ, through, through the gospel, through the work of salvation, through his word, a process to bring us back again. We find throughout scripture that when the king is bringing his kingdom, he gives those servants of his authority. So if God's the king, he has all authority, and God seeks fit to invite people into the kingdom, and he gives them authority. And so he gave Moses authority. He, you know, he, back in the Old Testament, in, in Genesis, he gives Joseph authority. I mean, he continues to bless the prophets with authority, and we find Jesus in the New Testament giving his disciples authority. That if you're going to be a follower of mine, you're going to have authority on my behalf, not delegated power that conferred influence on my behalf, scripture says, makes us an ambassador, that we are ambassadors with Christ, as though God was making his appeal through us. How amazing is that? We are representatives of the king. We come bearing his image, and when we go to the world on his behalf, we're trying to help people see that God loves you, and he cares for you, and he wants to bring you in. And so that authority we get is an authority that, that everything that's under God's feet, he says, I'll bring it, I'll bring it into, into submission. And in my name, you can, you, can, you can call things into submission. In the name of God, not, I have no authority in and of myself at all. I put on a necktie today to try, but I don't have any authority because, because who, I'm, I'm fragile, I'm human. But God, when he gives me authority, he makes me more than meets the eye. He makes me someone 
someone who represents him in every way. And, and though you cannot see it, though you can't see the authority God even gives you, hopefully today we'll understand a little bit more about the truth of it so we can claim that through faith in Christ. And secondarily, when God gives someone authority, when he gives us a badge to go forth and represent him, he also gives us power. I mean, someone with authority without power is, is impotent, really, to bring anything to bear. If a cop was to come up and say, please, please, please don't speed. Really? Come on. I don't want to do this. Don't make me shame on you for speeding. If that, was, if that was the extent of a cop's power, we'd be like, I'm going to do what I want. It's, it's power that brings authority to bear. And the power that God gives us, that's the, the, the third piece of the triangle there, the power that comes from God is given to us through the Holy Spirit in our life. And if you're a believer, if, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that means that we have been bestowed with, with amazing power because God has placed inside of us his spirit, which is a seal, a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance. So you're not just sitting here today as, as a normal person. If you're a, a follower of Jesus, you've, you've been called a child of the king. You have been given authority. And, and if you're here and you, you have the spirit inside of you, and again, if you claim Christ as Savior, He's entering into your life to transform you from the inside out. He's given you power. And how we take that in our small worlds to bring the kingdom to bear is often where we get tripped up because we're so afraid that God's going to take us and throw us to the far side of the world. That bringing the kingdom means going with Pastor Steve over to Yaka, Africa, uh, to be there in person to bring the kingdom. That's, that's one way we can do it, but a part of it, we can sponsor a child and bring the kingdom. I mean, God doesn't just want to bring the kingdom you know, to Nepal and Russia and Uganda. God wants to bring the kingdom to your neighborhood, to your neighbors. That's, it's, it's a personal kingdom. It's relational. God has given you authority and power to represent him in, in the cube next to you at work or to your coworkers. God has given us authority and power to go into our classrooms and in, into our, our community centers and to go on his behalf. And everywhere we go, we bear the name of Jesus, we bear his image, we bear his love, and we are able to bring the kingdom if we can see we've been empowered to do so. But oftentimes when we, when we think about, about the kingdom in the church, we think, well, here's the kingdom. It's the gather together thing where we just come together and we sit together in church and we go back out to live our lives. Man, God has a much bigger picture of that. And in Matthew chapter 9, we see Jesus showing us his heart because really we're trying to discover what is Jesus' heart? How does the kingdom play out in Jesus' life? And then how can we go and do likewise? And so on um, page 814 in your little blue Bibles under your seats in Matthew chapter 9, we're going to see that at the core of Jesus' ministry, the work of expanding God's kingdom is not just for a select few. It's for all of us. And the authority and power we've been given from God, it's used to change the world. So let's read together Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 35. And Jesus went through all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So this is, this is, this is a summary comment here. All the text in, uh, in orange is from Matthew. We're blending together the gospel accounts. But Matthew brings this to light here. He, and he says, here's what Jesus is doing. He's bringing the kingdom through preaching the gospel and through healing the sick. He's going through all, all, the, uh, all the towns, all the villages of, of the region, and he's preaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, which is great news. The kingdom of God is here. It's at hand. I'm bringing it even now. And he's verifying his message with power and healing every disease and every affliction. And Jesus, is, it says when he saw the crowds, that he was greatly annoyed. Right? No, it doesn't say that. I mean, when I see a crowd, I'm greatly annoyed. I mean, some of y'all pulled into the parking lot today and said, oh, it's one of these days, huh? Great. I'm greatly annoyed because <laughs> the parking lot is full. But, but a huge crowd of people for me sometimes means inconvenience. 
And when Jesus sees this crowd of people, because by this point in time in his ministry, his popularity is growing and people are coming to him in droves. It's interesting how Jesus sees people because we really, we need to see people like Jesus sees them. And when he sees them, he doesn't think, oh my gosh, more people to heal and all these problems to solve. This is exhausting. Jesus looks at them and he doesn't see, he doesn't see them as, as a problem to solve. He sees them as people. And we know that because it says that Jesus, when he saw them, he had compassion for them. And that word compassion is important. The word compassion in the Greek is my favorite, literally my favorite Greek word. And I'm going to make you guys say it with me. Okay. It's the Greek word splagna. Okay. Isn't that cool? Let's say it together on the count of three. One, two, three, splagna. It's nice because you can't mess it up, right? It's just a bunch of consonants all together. And so if you go to Olive Garden and ask for a side of splagna, they won't know what you're talking about. Okay. It sounds like something crazy, but, but Jesus had compassion on them. He was splagnitzomide. That means that Jesus, that Jesus was moved because the splagna is the gut. It's the seat of emotion. That's where they thought all the feeling in your heart is. I mean, if you've ever been dumped before, you felt it oh, in your gut. I, I deal with 18 to 30-year-olds. We put the pieces together all the time from broken relationships. And, and I feel for them. I have compassion for them, but, but not to the degree that they feel that pain because, oh, man, it just hurts in your gut when you get rejected, doesn't it? Or if, if some of you all have, have actually received legitimately horrible news, I mean, and heart-wrenching news, I mean, where does it hit you? When it doesn't hit you here, you don't go, oh, you don't go here, ah. It hits you here. It makes you nauseous. It's, it moves you. And Jesus, when he looked at the crowd, he didn't go, I'm obligated to love these people on account of the Father. Jesus looked at them and he was moved at a gut level to care for them, to have compassion for them. And the fact that Jesus would look at a crowd full of people with needs, and that he would have compassion on them, shows us a lot about the heart of the Father, doesn't it? Because when we go and, and we share Christ with our coworkers, are you, are you going to say, yeah, I'm a Christian, you know, and, and, and I live in the kingdom of God. They have no idea what you're talking about, but I would, I would want you to come and know my Jesus too. They resist because they, they wonder, how can so many things be broken in this world? How can there be so much pain and heartache and sorrow? What does God think about that? Jesus shows us what God thinks about that. Because when Jesus sees the hurt and the broken, he has compassion on them. He has compassion on them because of their pain. He's got compassion on them because of the sorrow in their lives. He has compassion on them when they experience loss. If you remember just zooming in, Jesus, when his friend Lazarus died, when he got to the tomb, he didn't say, no worries, I've got this handled. I'm the, I'm the, chi- I'm the child of the king. I'm the Messiah. I'll take care of this. Jesus weeps with pain in his heart when he sees Lazarus in the tomb because even death doesn't sit right with Jesus because he knows we were created for life. And that's, that's what we, we experience in the kingdom of God is life and eternal life. But Jesus sees our pain. Jesus knows our hurt and our sorrow and our loneliness. And he cares and he reaches out. And continually he reaches in to, to help pair, uh, repair the world. But Jesus' compassion, he says that, that he, he has compassion on them because they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. It's interesting if you think about what is a sheep without a shepherd? Lamb chop, right? I mean, dinner, okay? I mean, in, in that world, there, there's, there's no one to protect the sheep. If, if the sheep doesn't have a shepherd, you know, it's not too long until a wolf or a bear or whatever else comes along and just takes care of that thing. That's a meaty morsel. That's dinner. When he says that the sheep are harassed, it literally means it's this word for walking through like a thorn bush. If you, if you ever tried to make it through some woods and you're like, oh, I shouldn't have gone this way, and you're getting ripped to shreds and you're bleeding on the other side, that's, that's a little bit of an image of the mangledness that it is to be harassed. He says, these people are torn up. They're mangled because, because of their lack of shepherding. He says they're helpless. That word for helpless literally means like on your back, can't get up, vulnerable, worn out, exhausted. 
They're helpless. They've been so overburdened by the law and by the religious leaders and the things that they've told them that they need to do to be close to the Father, that, that they are, they're worn out from it all. And Jesus says they're like, they're like sheep without a shepherd. And, and so conveniently, we see that Jesus, he comes to play that role, right? Jesus is the good shepherd. And, and when Jesus sees their, their need, he doesn't think of it as, man, this is a drag and an obligation. Jesus sees it as an opportunity. Let's read on. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So what does that mean? It means means that when Jesus sees these people in their need, he sees a ripe field. He sees people who are right there. Their hearts are ready for the kingdom of God. And he says, let's pray to the Lord of the harvest, God who's brought these people to a point to receive the kingdom, that that there would be laborers to go out and to, to reap the great harvest of the Lord. And Jesus is about to take his disciples and to do just that. It's interesting because at this point in time, Jesus could have said, look, guys, here's the harvest. I'll be taking care of this pretty soon. Just don't worry about it. I mean, Jesus' intent from the beginning we see in ministry is not that he would do all the work, that he would invite us alongside him into the kingdom. He'd share his kingdom so we could be a part of the reaping, of the harvest of the Lord. When Jesus calls Peter from his nets, you remember what he says? He says, come follow me and watch me catch men. He says, Peter, you got fishing down, no problem. That's great, but I'm a great fisher of men. Come, come on the fishing show with me, and I'm going to fish for men. I'm going to catch them, and I'm going to show you how amazing I am. Jesus, Jesus says to Peter, says, come with me, and I will make you a fisher of men. I will teach you to bring the kingdom life by life by life. That's what Jesus does. He trains his disciples to do what he does. That's what he does still today in this church. We look to the example of Jesus, and we learn. Hopefully you're in a context of shepherding in a small group or at least in this church where you're learning more and more how to be about the kingdom work. We're hopefully training you and outfitting you to be a part of the kingdom because we want to walk as Jesus did. And good leaders train and empower their followers to do what they do. That's what discipleship is all about. And as we follow Jesus, we see the things he cares about are people and life change that the harvest he's calling us out towards is not simply to see how many notches we can get on our evangelism belt. It's how many people can we bring in and introduce to God the Father. How can we invite them into the family of God so they can experience his grace and transformation themselves? And so Jesus in Matthew 10, as we turn the corner, he calls his disciples together and says, guys, it's harvest time. You've been walking with me. You've been watching me. You've been following me. Now we're going to go out and actually jump into action. We're going to bring the kingdom to bear. And let's read along together. This is sort of a combo account of Luke and Mark and Matthew as well. But we'll be mostly, mostly in Matthew chapter 10. And it says, this is uh, first of all Luke and chapter 9 verse 1. But it's again mashed. Check out the screens. You'll be fine. It says this. It says, and he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority. There it is. He gave them power and authority over what? Over all demons to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. So he gives them his power and his authority over the world of darkness, over those things that have gone wrong in this world on account of sin. That's sickness and disease and and being affected negatively by the kingdom of this world, by Satan and his, his forces and how they seek to destroy. He gives them authority over all of those things and he sends them out to do what he's just been doing, to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And so when God gives us this, this power, this word for power is this word dunamis. You might have heard it before in Greek. It's that word we get dynamite from. So basically, he hands his disciples this stick of dynamite of the Spirit. He says, you've been given now my power. 
There's, there's full, full power at your disposal here. Look for the will of God. And when you need to, to move to be obedient, God will empower you at that moment to be obedient. God equips those he calls and sends. He says, you're going to have everything you need for the mission I'm going to put in front of you. And he says, and you also have my authority. You're going forth in my behalf. And in the name of Jesus, demons are going to run and flee. And, and twisted limbs will be straightened. And I will bring forth my kingdom, my restoration of not just salvation for hearts and minds and souls, but I will bring even, even people's bodies into alignment with the kingdom of God, the, the perfect creation they were, they were made to experience. And, and they go forth then in power and authority. And it says, if you skip um, down, the, he does kind of a roll call about the, the 12 disciples. He says, the names of the 12 apostles are these. He does a, a quick roll call before he sends them out. He says, Simon, who's called Peter. Peter says, here. <laughs> Andrew, his brother, here. <laughs> James, the son of Zebedee, here, he goes on, John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and even Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These 12 apostles he's about to send out. In verse 5 in Matthew 10, it says this, These 12 Jesus sent out instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Remember, Jesus just prayed that, that those without a shepherd would be shepherded, that the harvest that's plentiful would be reaped. And he sees the lost sheep of Israel and he says, the Samaritans, just steer clear of them for now. We're going to take care of them in a little bit. The Gentiles, just don't touch that situation yet. I've got a guy all picked out. He's going to take care of it, okay, in the book of Acts. But here's what I want you to do. Go to the lost sheep of Israel and go in my behalf to, to shepherd those who have been lost, harassed, and helpless for so long. This is the fulfillment of Jesus' prayer and it's through the people of God. It's through his followers that Jesus brings his prayer to bear. And so let's read on in verse 7. He's got the target now for them. And now he says, here's the objective. He says, proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And here it is again. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, and cast out demons. Now imagine if you're one of the disciples there receiving this instruction from Jesus. It's about this point in time, Jesus says, are there any questions? <laughs> uh... Yeah, Jesus, about numbers one through five, okay? I've seen you do that. You're very good at it. You know, we're, we're impressed and amazed. We're, we're, we're excited for what you're doing here. But how are we going to go and do that? That's your thing, Jesus. How are we going to go? And, uh, and so up to this point, they've not experienced this for themselves. It doesn't say the disciples have done any of these things, proclamation, healing, or anything. They've been baptizing people as they come to Jesus, but we don't know if they've been involved in the process. But, but it stands to reason that Jesus, if he's training and equipping them, they have some experience because the disciples are very quick when they don't understand to say, um, a little help. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about here. And so apparently the disciples are, are confident enough that they're going to go out and proceed with the authority and power of God. I mean, they see Jesus clearly enough to know this man is, is sent from God He's the Messiah. I'm going to trust him. And without asking any questions, they say, all right, we're going to do it. If you say it's possible and you've given us your authority and power, we will go. And I think they're so excited. I think they're, they're looking for the kingdom, the messianic kingdom to come. They're high five and they're thinking, this is it. We're invincible now. We're going to go out in the name of Jesus and we're, going to, we're just going to knock this place down. We're going to bring in the, the everlasting messianic kingdom. We're going to get our 12 thrones set up and it's going to be awesome. But Jesus cautions them. He says, hey guys, you're going to be bringing the kingdom to bear in this world, but understand that this is not going to be an easy mission. That in a world full of darkness, when the light comes and the darkness has not understood it, as we, as we read in John chapter 1, we have problems. 
Because Jesus was not applauded and embraced every place he went. In fact, the more they understood the sacrifice required to be a part of the kingdom of God, people turned their back on him. And in fact, they, they weren't supportive, but they were straight up hostile. And these disciples are walking into dangerous territory, hostile territory, and the journey is going to be wrought with trials. In the rest of Matthew chapter 10, Jesus, he just sort of summarizes what they're about to experience excuse me, experience. He says, you guys are going to go, and, and when you go, I, I want you not to pack your bags. I want you not to bring your stuff. He says, leave, leave your cloak, leave your extra staff, leave those things behind, and, and even the bread, leave behind. Your money, tuck away, because when you go out, you're going to go out trusting me in faith that I'm going to provide for you. If you're going to be serving the kingdom, the king's going to take care of your needs. So don't go packing two free checked bags, one carry-on, and one personal item, okay? That's, that's the way I live, right? When we go out to serve Jesus, that's the way we roll. We're like, okay, Jesus, we'll trust you, but if I'm going on this mission trip, I'm sure as heck going to bring my air mattress, all my medicine, you know, like my Bible, you know, everything to be comfortable, bug spray, sunscreen, oh, you know, because I'm going to go out and I'm trusting you, but I'm sure as heck taking every precaution, right? And I'm not saying that's not wise, but imagine a mission trip leader saying, okay, we're going to be going to Uganda. Here's the packing list, the clothes on your back. You're like, I'm out. <laughs> that, that's too much trust. But that's what Jesus is doing. He's saying, trust me so much that, that we'll take care of your needs. He says, when you go into a town, in Matthew 10, he says, when you go into a town, look for someone who is worthy, who has a heart for the kingdom, and, and, and their hospitality will welcome you in. And when you come into their home, bless their home, stay there, and do ministry. He says, those who labor for the kingdom, they're worth their, their wages. And so he says, as you serve me, the family of God will take care of you. And as you find people whose hearts are open to the kingdom, they will meet your needs on my behalf. And as you go along, he says further, he says, as you go along, look out because it's not going to be all fun and games. He says, you're not going to be going around signing autographs. You guys will be dodging bullets because as you go from town to town, there are people there in the synagogues and the leaders and the kings. And when you go into those places, they're going to, to seek to stop you in your work. You'll stand before them on trial. He says, at that time, don't be afraid. Don't fear, because I'll give you the words to say. I'll be with you. And if you read the book of Acts, you understand what the apostles went through as time after time they're arrested and then set free from prison by angels in the middle of the night. When they stand before the, the rulers, that God does give them the words that he's saying, I'm going to be with you in any circumstance. And as you suffer for me, for the kingdom, the king will never leave your side. He says that, that family members will turn against you that, that if you seek to, to love anything more than me, you would not be counted worthy for the kingdom because to follow me is to surrender your full life. That's the heart of Jesus' words in, in Matthew chapter 10 as he goes on. He says that if you're going to be in the kingdom, if you're going to be living for me, you must die to you. We're going to talk about counting the costs in a few weeks, but, but that, that invitation to die to self is something that's, that's an intense challenge. I mean, how much of my life, how much of your life is sent Serving self. I mean, we serve ourselves all the time. I'm trying to take care of my comfort. I'm trying to secure my, my own future, my own security. And Jesus says, listen, if you, if you try to find your life and save your life, you'll lose it. You get so distracted in the things of this world. If you care about anything more than following me and you seek after that thing, you will miss out on the kingdom of God. But if you lose your life for me, if you pick up your cross and die to self and follow me, you will find life, and you will be counted as part of the kingdom of God. And if that's not a gut check, then I don't know what is. I mean, our invitation to follow Jesus is not usually that intense, right? We don't walk in and say, okay, uh, so, so first of all, there's death, and then loss of everything, and then eventually you're going to find satisfaction in Christ. We come in and say, we've got some great Bible studies. <laughs> My small group has the nicest people, and when we have a potluck, it is legit. <laughs> 
I mean, the baked beans are to die for. Come on in. It's fun to follow Jesus. Isn't that sometimes our invitation? Sometimes we think that's what it's all about, but Jesus says, no, it's, it's not about just simply living and, and again, the privileges and, and the happiness of the kingdom, but also to understand that if we're living and representing the king in this world, it's not always going to be easy for us. In fact, more often than not, it's going to be hard. And if you want to see Jesus coming in your life, the, the kingdom of God coming, it doesn't come to a life where we only need him to show up to bless our beans. And we can chuckle about that, but isn't that true? I mean, if the only thing we need God to do is, is uh, you know, God is great, God is good, now I thank him for my food, how, how much authority and power do we need of him in our lives? Not very much. I mean, the things we set out to do, you know, baking cookies for your neighbor is a first step of bringing forth the kingdom. That is a, that is a, a scary thing to knock on that door and say, hello, I am Ryan. I am here to give you cookies, okay? It's maybe scary. You could need some authority and power, but, but most of the things we do aren't things that we desperately need God to intervene for, to make happen in our lives. And so is it any wonder that when we look at our lives, we go, where's the authority? Where's the power? God says, you don't need me for the stuff you're doing. You're, you're not, you haven't even stepped out of your comfort zone yet. You haven't even begun to in, invite me to move in your world. So, so I'm ready and I'm able and I'm calling you, but you're not listening to me. And when, when I do tug on your heart, that, 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 that resistance of fear, that's something from the enemy, and I'm challenging you to trust me because you've been given authority and you've been given power, and we can do this. That's what God wants for us to understand. That's what Jesus is saying, is that with me, with, with me for you, there's nothing you can't do. There's no, there's no price you can't pay. There's nothing you can't endure for my sake and for the kingdom. That's, that is good news, but it's hard news. Because again, we seek to preserve ourselves. And, and imagine again the disciples. They, they just basically heard the worst pep talk that's ever been given. I mean, if William Wallace would have given this pep talk before the Scottish men, you know, like, they would have, they would have, they would have turned their backs and ran the other way. Because there's, there's hardly a promise of reward here for them. It's going to be all a hard road to, to travel with Jesus. And a coach in a locker room says, okay, guys, we're going to get out there, and we're going to take some hits, and this is going to be hard. Many of you are going to be carried off in stretchers. We're going to go out there and, and come, come win or lose. You know, the kingdom's going to come. You go, wait a second. Like, I want to score a touchdown. No, like we, I want to win. Like I want to parade on my behalf. I mean, I want to get the ring of triumph for the trophy. Jesus says, that's not what this side is about. And on the other side, there will be reward and, and the kingdom of God. You'll receive those, those things. You'll see what you've, what you've, uh, what you've been working for your whole life. There's treasures in heaven. But he says on this side, it's going to look different. And you've got to leave all those pursuits behind. And I think as Peter was laying there that night thinking, what in the world? As the disciples, all 12 of them were thinking, what have we gotten ourselves into? They started thinking, man, I got a fishing business back up in, in, uh, in Capernaum. And man, that was great. I had food on my table and I had fish in my nets. And I knew where my next paycheck was coming from. What am I doing here? Why would I go out and leave all that to follow this guy? It's because there's something inherently valuable about following Jesus. There's something that these guys who had it all together, they had, they had plenty of security in this world. They gave all that up for the joy of following Christ. And we can learn something from their example because when the sun came up the next day, they, they got up and they, they put their staffs aside. They left their fanny packs and their backpacks and their extra money and you know, all their tokens. And, and they walked off and they had only the, the, the mantle, the burden of the authority and power of Jesus and that's all they needed to go out and to serve him in the kingdom. And the result of it is powerful. Mark sums it up. He says, And so the twelve, they went out and proclaimed that the people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick, and they healed them. 
So Mark's account is they did what Jesus asked them to do, and they were successful. The kingdom of God came in their midst. And in the name of Jesus, the authority and power of Jesus, they were able to walk out and see the world changed. And it's cool because this proclamation word, you go, what am I going to say if I have to go out and preach to people? I don't know what to say. This word for proclamation, it's a word that a herald would use. And a herald is not someone who makes it up as they go along. A herald is the person who takes the message from the king and delivers it to the people. It's not your words you're sharing. It's God's words of encouragement and truth. It's not your power you're going forth to try to, to, to bind up the brokenhearted and, and the sick and those who are oppressed. It's Jesus' power you're bringing as you go. And they understood it's not about us. It's all about him. And all we need to do is, is trust him and believe and he is who he says he is, and the power he has is potent to save. And we're going to go out trusting and obeying him. And they were obedient to fulfill the kingdom. And Luke wraps it up, this little section, and says, And they went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. And it didn't stop there. It continued on. If we read the book of Acts, when Jesus he calls his disciples together, he says, You guys are going to be my witnesses. You'll receive power from the Spirit. And you'll go forth in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth, and you will bring people into the kingdom of God. You'll be equipped and empowered. And that's exactly what we see. We see first the, the, the 11, and then we see you know, thousands added on the day of Pentecost. And the church continues to expand and grow. And we're here 2,000 years later because the kingdom of God is alive. And it's, it's still advancing through the authority and the power of Jesus Christ. And if we understand all these things to be true, that, that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, that we are adopted as God's sons, that we're temples of the Holy Spirit, then, then how we see our lives today, it, it needs to be focused on how Jesus describes it, not how the world describes it or our experience. Because we want to be about what he's about. And we want to be available for the kingdom work he has for each of us. And so we understand these things to be true in scripture. We are a royal priesthood and a holy nation empowered by God. But if that's the case, then let's just be honest for a second. Then why are we still so afraid all the time? I mean, why, why do I experience still so much fear? And why do the things that I pray for still seem like mountains that are not moving in my life? I mean, at the prayer and healing night, I have to confess to you all, uh, we were driving over there to a capital Christian and the feeling I was experiencing on the way over there wasn't, woo! This is going to be exciting. We're going to get some gnarly stuff thrown at us, and we're going to pray our hearts out. It was like, God, I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> I don't know if I have the authority and power to, to really pray for these people, that, that, that you can do your, your will and bring the kingdom in their life. I don't know what that looks like, Father. And I, was, I felt fear, and I, I just felt like, like the enemy was trying to, to take me, and to hold me down as, as he would take all of us and hold us down so we would, we would be afraid in the face of adversity in this world. And, and when we see, you know, big scary things, you know, that the, the, the enemy's throwing at us, that we just get bowled over, that's, that's what the world would want. But God says, do you know who I am? If I'm the king and I've given you authority and you have power, what are you afraid of right now? Jesus says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. He says, trust in me. And the disciples went out with courage in their hearts and they went out and experienced great things for the kingdom. But, but don't think for a second that these people were superheroes who aren't just like us, because there comes a time when they encounter an obstacle in the scriptures. And I just want to bring you there as we conclude by way of encouragement that there are some things that we encounter in life that, that yeah, we don't have the authority and power to tackle. And the disciples who've gone out and had all this experience, a few chapters later, they're going to be finding themselves frustrated. If you look to the screens there, this is sort of Matthew 17, Mark 9, and Luke 9 all together. It says this. This is, this is the encounter that happens. Again, just a few, you know, a few chapters later here. It says, On the next day... 
when they, and they in this context is Peter, James, John, and Jesus, when they'd come down from the mountain, it just happens to be the mountain of transfiguration, just for a bonus, that they've come down, Jesus has just been revealed in his heavenly glory to his disciples on the mountaintop. And the heavenly father said, this is my son, listen to him. So he says, this is Jesus, see him clearly, know him, follow him, obey him. He's got my power and blessing and authority. So, so he's worth following. It says, when they came down from this, and you imagine, you know, Peter and James and John, they're high-fiving, they're excited. And Jesus, you know, he's, his heart is full. The Father has just affirmed his authority and power. And they come down, it says, and when they came to the other disciples, this, the nine down at the bottom of the hill, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. There's, there's a tussle going on here. There's something, something that's broken out. And it says, immediately, all the crowd, when they saw Jesus, they were greatly amazed, and they ran up and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing with them about? The disciples, they see Jesus, they're like, thank goodness you're here. And they come running because they're like, Jesus, we had a problem. There's this kid over here, and he's, he's possessed by a demon. And we've been praying with power and authority, and we cannot get this demon out of this kid. The scribes are coming along, and they're pointing fingers, and they're saying, well, if you're, if you're disciples of Jesus, why don't you have the power to, to deliver in this circumstance here? Obviously, Jesus is a fake. He's a fraud. You guys are, have, have been tricking the people. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 guys, hold on. I got to go back up to the mountain. You guys are bothering me, okay? He goes, man, like, you know, that compassion he has, I think in this moment, Jesus is like, man, Lord, help me with these these broken, stiff-necked people. But when Jesus sees this problem, he enters in, and and when he asks, what are you arguing with him about? This man runs up to Jesus. It says, behold, a man from the crowd came up to him, and kneeling before him, cried out, teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. This is the father of the boy. He says, Lord, that's that, that, that word of, of trust. Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And Mark colors in what we'll find in just a moment here. And Mark adds that, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. So we're getting from the combo a passage, the complete picture here, that this little boy is suffering because he's been afflicted by his spirit. The Spirit's robbed his ability to speak. The Spirit sends him physically into epileptic fits. And he's come to destroy this kid's life. It says, and whenever it seizes him, he suddenly cries out and it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. It convulses him and shatters him and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. This man is heartbroken. He's begging for the power and authority of God to work in his life. And these disciples are unable to do it. And, and why, we, we don't know for certain at first, but we do know that he comes and he's, he's asking Jesus, the authority giver, the power bringer, to do something about the situation. We see that this demon here, and, and very briefly, Lance has been teaching, uh, he's going to be teaching on Monday nights a whole series on the supernatural and, and demons and demon possession and what they can do to mess up our world. He's going to be teaching on that in a couple weeks because we believe our battle's not just against flesh and blood, but against the principalities of darkness as well. And we do believe that, that, that demons can come and they can mess with our minds. They can mess with our hearts. They can mess even with our health. And, and I don't know how that all works out, but I do know that God's sovereign over that. And as we, as we understand our authority and power in Jesus, we don't have to be subject to, to demonic oppression or pestering. We're, we're, we're powerful as children of God. And so what happens then is that Jesus, he's a bit frustrated by the situation because he sees his disciples. He, he's given them the authority and the power they need, but there's something they lack. And he says... Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? He says, the problem here is a lack of faith. 
You're not seeing me clearly, and you may be seeing yourselves a little too powerfully. Because the disciples have, have maybe taken matters into their own hands. And you can imagine them arguing and bickering. No, let me take a try. I got this. And they pray for the boy and nothing happens. And, and the scribes are chiming in and it's just all chaos. And, and Jesus says, let, let me see the boy. He says, bring your son here to me. And they brought the boy to him. And check this out. When the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. When this demon catches sight of Jesus, he freaks out because he sees the authority and power in Jesus. Spiritually, I mean, spiritually, there's a whole other th- group of things going on in the world. Jesus is rocking some power that this demon, which you can't see, it's just the effects on the boy, he freaks out. He's going to try to put an end to this kid before Jesus gets to him. He's afraid because he sees the one who has all authority and power given to him from the Father. And Jesus, very calmly, as this whole fit goes on, he says, rather clinically, and Jesus asks his father, how long has this been happening to him? <laughs> is Jesus afraid? <laughs> no. Is Jesus concerned that he's not going to have power in the circumstance? No, Jesus is perfectly calm. He's talking to the Father. He has compassion on the Father. This must be horrible for your boy to have gone through this for so long. How long has this been happening to him? He said from childhood. And it's often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus, if you can do something, please help. How many times have we prayed that prayer? Jesus, if you see me, if you care, if you're powerful, then please, would you do something? It sounds more like the beggar looking for scraps than it does a child of the king understanding the sovereign one and his care for them. And Jesus, he's, he's offended by this man's statement. Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. All things are possible. Jesus says, don't say if and me in the same sentence. I'm Jesus. I am capable and powerful. It's not a matter of if I'm able. It's a matter of whether it's in the Father's will that this happens in the circumstance. And Jesus is always hearing and doing the Father's will we find in Scripture. And so Jesus says, this, this is something that, that I'm concerned about here. Let's get this faith picture right. If you believe in God, there's nothing that is impossible. That's where faith begins in the character and the competency of God, Jesus Christ. And immediately the Father catches himself. Immediately the Father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. And I don't know if you've ever been in that place before. <laughs> that, that tension between, between faith and fear. That is, that is where we live as humans. I mean, there are constantly situations we're coming up against. And we're saying, God, I believe with all my heart, but there's still a part of me that's afraid and scared. And Jesus doesn't condemn us in that place. Jesus invites us to deeper intimacy, deeper faith, deeper understanding of who he is. And when this man prays, I believe, help me in my unbelief, man, I, I pray that prayer all the time. I don't know if you guys do or not. God, I believe you're capable. I believe you're, you're, you're here, that you're potent, God. Help me in my unbelief and line me up with your will because I want to be about what you're doing, God. That's, that's what I want my heart and my life to be about, just like Jesus. And this man who's, whose faith is so shaken, he, he says the best he can is, I trust you. Help me with anything I'm lacking. Please, I believe. And it says, the conclusion is this, and when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Jesus does a lot of commanding in scripture, if you notice, not a lot of asking, because he has authority. He's not begging, he's, he's, he's setting things right with his authority and power. It says, and after crying out and convulsing the boy terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse. It's like a, it's like a scene from a movie. The demon leaves and the boy is still and everyone's like, Jesus killed him. What's going on? This is, this is horrible. This is even worse now. The boy's dead. Maybe Jesus failed as well. 
And Jesus, it says, Jesus took, the, took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And Jesus gave the boy back to his father, and all were astonished at the majesty of God. That's what happens when, when Jesus gets his hands on a situation. When, when all the peripherals out of the way and Jesus steps in, then his will is brought with authority and power. And I'll tell you that there's, there's an invitation for us today to go and to be about that business. Because when the disciples got back together with Jesus, they asked him, what's the deal? It says, when they had entered the house where they were staying, the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? Jesus, what's the deal? I thought we were given authority and power. And Jesus explains to them. He said to them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, it's a teensy, weensy, tiny seed. He says, if you have that much faith, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. I tell you, God is not into the excavating business, so it's probably not literally the fact that he's wanting you to move mountains. I mean, if I would have had the power and authority uh, to, to move a mountain on top of a forest fire that happened three weeks ago, I would have done it because I wanted to go and see the mountains. But, you know, but, but God's concern is for what? It's for people. Again, not, not topography. God's heart is, is for people. But, but those things in our life that are like a mountain, he says, if you have faith in Jesus, he is more than capable to help move that mountain out of the way. He, he'll either walk you over it, he'll walk you around it, or he might just walk you through it. He might just blast it out of the way. But God is, God is capable. Trust in him. He is faithful. And, and we, we see here the central need for faith. But faith is, is about, about belief in who Jesus is. And, and as, as Jesus goes on to conclude there, uh, Mark throws in a little bit other piece of this. He says, he adds on that this faith, this faith is necessary because this kind of demon cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And here we find the great connection. Here we find that the authority and the power of God is only found in intimacy with him. What is, what is prayer about? Prayer is about our relationship with the Father. It's not just us asking him for stuff. Prayer is about seeing him clearly so he can speak to us to set our minds and hearts right so we can go and live the life he's called us to live. That is what prayer is about. He says, you guys, have been, you guys are apparently trying to rock this in your own power. Your authority and power has limits. Why? Because it's connected to me. And the second you cut yourself off from intimacy with me, from following me, you're like one of those divers with those helmets, the old school divers. You know, we're all trying to get our scuba tanks filled up so we can go out and we can, we can rock it for Jesus. But eventually we run out of air on our own. But one of those scuba helmets, the old school kind with the, with the hose coming out the top, is connected to a source of air that doesn't cease. And when we're walking in the kingdom, we're walking really in the power of Jesus. It's not us who is working, moving. It's Jesus working through us. But the enemy seeks to sever that line. And pride in us, it, it takes us and it sometimes kinks that line and we find ourselves then having to run back again. And so many of us see this environment of church as the place we come to catch a breath and then we're going to go out and swim again in this world as far as we can until we need to turn back again to find another breath to go out and live the kingdom. That's not the spirit-filled life. Jesus said, if I'm in you and you're in me, it's like a branch. I'm the vine, you're connected to me. You're the branch. He says, if you remain in me, if you hold on to me in intimacy with me, you will bear much fruit. But he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So all this is not about how much power and authority do you have in your own right. It's not about how awesome you are or the things you can do. It's about are you connected to Jesus? Because if we're connected to Jesus and we're remaining in him, we're trusting in him, guess what he's going to take care of? Everything. The details, the empowerment, the, the, the mission, the call. But, but do you have intimacy with the Father is the question. Are you remaining in him or are you apart from him just until you need him and then you latch on again and come back again? 
And you're, you're growing fruit in fits and spurts when God wants to continually flow through his authority and power to bring the kingdom to bear in your life. That's, that's the question for us. That's the challenge for us today. Is will we live a life fully surrendered to God so he can bring the kingdom? Will we seek his face so we can know him and know how to trust him as he brings forth the kingdom in our life? And I challenge you this week, think about that and pray about that. Are the, are the things you're going through, are the mountains that are in your life, things that you're trying to tackle with a pick and with an axe? Because if it is, you're going to be chipping for a long time. Why not lay those things down, take up your cross, and follow Jesus, and just trust that he will lead you and guide you over it, through it, or around it, according to his will. But, but we'll trust in him and his authority and power. He will do great things through us, through you, his disciples, his holy priesthood, going forth on his behalf. Let's pray that he'll do that as we leave uh, this place today to go forth and to enact the kingdom. Let's pray.